0: So today we want to talk about finding true rest, and we want to go to God's Word to see what does it mean to truly rest in God alone. And let me give you a hint. just a few minutes, like three minutes from now, I'm going to have just a time to pray to open the message, but I'm going to have a time of silent prayer, and I want you to be praying in your heart, what in your heart do you need to rest from? So be thinking that we're going to have a time of silent prayer to bring that before the Lord and we want to find true rest from his word. I'm so thankful for my family. Um, my wife is in the middle there, even though she looks like one of my daughters. Um, and then my, my son Andrew, Abby, Annie, and Olivia. So now you know who we're um, all connected to. So when you hear the word rest, let me tell you what we're not gonna talk about today. What we're not talking about is what most of you think of when you think of rest, and that is I need to not be so busy. How many of you are busy? We're all busy. Um, and so we're not talking today about resting from physical or mental exhaustion. We're not talking about how to become more efficient with our time and our effort. We're not trying to figure out how to not be so busy in this life, even though I love trying to figure these things out, and I love being efficient, and I love trying to find not, uh, not so much busyness that we have to do. But often when I ask somebody, how are you doing, we all say kind of that initial answer of, oh, fine, or I'm good, or you say, I'm just really busy, or I just have a lot to do, or, or, or maybe I'm just really tired. Busyness in America today has become a very acceptable drug. You see, busy people are successful people. Busy people are important people. This is why we like to tell people how busy we are. Um, we're, We're important. We're successful. We need to be recognized for our busyness. However, did you know busyness is one way that you tend to push people away from you? When you go to someone and talk about how busy you are, what you're really telling them is, I don't know if you really should bother me. You know, I'm a busy, important person. But busyness is also a drug. It's an addiction that we have in America. It's a way that we cope with pain. It's a way that we cope with anxiety. So we're not talking about how to not be so busy. So if that's what you are hoping for today, that's not the rest we're going after. What we are going to talk about, and by the way, there's lots of books that talk about how not to be so busy. I'm curious, has anybody ever read any of these books, part of them, or seen them before? Yeah, lots of people. How many of you say, I would like to read one of these books, but I'm too busy? (laughs) Um, I don't have a chance to read a book on busyness. Um, So yes, books are written about how not to be so busy. But what we want to talk about is what does God's word say about resting, We're going to talk about what God's word says in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And let me stop right here and just make a point. You will have times of labor and heavy ladenness. Because if you don't have those times, you can never experience the rest that God has promised us. So you will go through this. This is why Jesus talked about this. And then Jesus mentions three things that you need to rest in. So look what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And that's talking about our bodies need physical rest. And then he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. We're going to talk a lot about our hearts in just a minute. Because our hearts need rest, but they don't want rest. So he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. That's the third thing. In just a few minutes when we close, we're going to be closing from a passage in the Old Testament that talks about our need for rest in our hearts, and in our bodies, and in our souls. And Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we all face hard times. And, and the answer is not when we seek rest. The answer is not just to say, I need to learn to say no. That, that's what you're all thinking is, I've just kind of learned to say no to things. That's not what we're talking about today. It's when life happens that brings you a heaviness. Where do you need to rest in God alone? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. But um, as I pray, would you mind just going before the Lord right now, silently, and asking God in your own heart, God, where do I need to rest in you alone? So everybody bow your heads. We'll just take a, a couple seconds of silent prayer before the Lord. So God, as we come before you today, we want to rest in the person of Christ and who you are. Help us to see who you are and to trust you. We want to rest in your presence that you are with us, that we are not alone in this world, and that gives us a confidence to serve. And God, we want to rest in the performance of what you have done. It's not in our performance. Help us not to be anxious about, uh, about how we please you, but help us to see that through Christ, that performance and that price has been paid. Be with those here that this morning come with a heart that is heavy, that is laden down. Help us to trust you as we see your word now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so for those of you who need an aesthetically pleasing outline, Let me give you the outline of what originally we were going to talk about. But we're going to do our message a little different this morning. But if you need to write down an outline that's alliterated and aesthetically pleasing, this is it. This is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about resting in the person of Christ and who he is. And then we're going to talk about resting in the presence of Christ. Did you know that Christ is present with you if you are a believer? And so you are never alone. When you rest in his presence, you rest in the knowledge that God is in control. And then thirdly, resting in the performance of Christ and what he has done. It's not what we do. It's what he has done for us. So that's your aesthetically pleasing, alliterated outline. But we're actually going to look at this a little different this morning. We're actually going to ask three questions about rest. So turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7. And we're going to go through chapter 4. And, and, and let me just give you a little bit of a background about about this passage because it's talking about rest for God's people, for the people of Israel. It's about finding true rest in Christ. And so what we're going to do is just ask three questions about rest this morning. The first question is this: Why do we need true rest? Why do we need true rest? Secondly, how do we find true rest from this passage? And then third. Where do we get the power to truly experience true rest? So Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to read the first part. We're going to start with that first question. Why do we need true rest? Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness... Well, your fathers put me to the test, and he saw, they saw my works for 40 years. So why do we need true rest? There, there are three reasons. Number one, we have hard hearts. We have hard hearts before God. What does it mean to have a hard heart? It means here from this passage, and, and again, we're, looking, we're constantly going to be using the children of Israel as the illustration. That, that's what's used here, is in the, in, when the children of Israel in the wilderness, what was causing their heart to be hard? So a hard heart is a result oftentimes of sin in our life. Unrepentant, repeated sin over and over can cause your heart to harden to the things of God. It says that on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test, not only sin, not only sin can cause a hard heart, but the repetition and the mundane things of life, the routine things of life. If you let the routine things of life get you down, Changing a thousand diapers a week, you know, for you young moms. The repetition of school, of work, of relationships, of hard things, physical trials, struggles with finances, difficulties with your health. These are the mundane trials of life that we go through that if you're not careful, will harden your heart towards the things of God. It will harden your heart to what God is wanting to do. And by the way, God uses those things. God uses the mundane things of life to show us our need for true rest. But then secondly, the second thing, look at, look at verse 10. It says, therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. You know, when we sang the song this morning, Come Now, Fount, so that song is... 400 years old. And do you remember that, that, that verse when it says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love? Take my heart, take and seal it, seal it for the courts above. We have a tendency to allow our hearts to wander from God. The people of Israel, when their hearts would wander from God, do you remember what it led to? It led to idolatry. And when you allow your heart to wander away from God, it will lead to an idolatry in your life when you don't trust God for what he has ordained and given to you. Our hearts are prone to wander. We have wandering hearts. And then thirdly, we have unbelieving hearts. So again, this is still under the the point of why do we need true rest? Because our hearts wander from God and our hearts are unbelieving hearts. So look what it says. I want to go back to one item, one we just missed. You wander from God. Go back and look at this passage. Look at verse 10. It says, they always go astray in their heart because they have not known my ways. Your heart wanders from God when you don't know his ways. Now that's going to be something very important that we're going to tie back to in just a minute. When you don't know God, your heart will wander from him. And then third, we have unbelieving hearts. So look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. We have hearts that don't believe God's promises to us. We have hearts that do believe sin is the best thing we should pursue. And let me just say this about your heart. I'm going to summarize this, this first part of the message with this. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the springs of life. When you do not trust God with your heart, so wake up and hear just this is this one summary. I just want you to hear this one thing. If you do not trust God with your heart, you will search to find something for your heart to trust in. And when you do that, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. That's why we need rest. Your heart will wander from God. Your heart will become hard to the things that God is doing. And your heart at times will not believe. So let's talk about what does this look like? So how, how do you know that this is happening um, in your life? Number one, you, it's shown in your thoughts and it's shown in your words and it's shown in your actions. This is how you know if you're going to have a heart attack or not you know? Uh, And I mean a spiritual heart attack. If your heart is in the wrong place, it's going to show in your actions, it's going to show in your words. And let's think about the children of Israel. Do you remember when they were were out in the wilderness and they were very bitter that that God or that Moses had taken them out of the land of Egypt? And so they were bitter about the past. Some of you are struggling with bitterness right now. You're struggling with the idea that somebody hurt you. You're struggling with, with guilt. You're struggling with shame. You're struggling with shame where Satan is coming to you and saying, you're a loser. You can never do anything for God because of your past. You're struggling with the guilt of sin that you keep going back to over and over. And a bitter heart will grumble. Some of you think back to the good old days. I'm getting older now. That's why I love working with college students. Um, because it it keeps you young and and energetic at times but i I do find myself now thinking back to like the good old days you know they like the days that you know we didn't used to have this awfulness of what the world is and and it's so bad and you know you know nothing is more responsible for the good old days than a really bad memory (laughs) you know sometimes the good old days really weren't that good (laughs) Um, and sometimes today is really not that bad um, but, but you think back on times when things used to be different, past hurts, past wrongs. You're struggling with bitterness from the past. You're also depressed about the present circumstances of life. The people of Israel were depressed about what they ate, what they drank, where they lived, their leadership, that they were physically exhausted, and they were upset about their worship. And all of these current depressions that we struggle with around the circumstances of life led them to idol worship, to creating a God that they thought would bring fulfillment that would not. Some of you are struggling currently with depression about your circumstances. And you're living in those negative situations over and over and over. And then thirdly, a heart that is hard, that's wandering from God, that is unbelieving, that doesn't trust God's promises, that third heart is anxious about the future. The children of Israel said, you brought us here to die. And they were worried about what the future holds. The future can be a scary place we worry about politics we worry about wars we worry about the economy we worry about are we going to be able to retire we worry about what kind of job am i going to get we worry about who we're going to marry we have all of these anxieties about the future Um, one of my favorite writers is a guy named dale carnegie who wrote this book How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I was telling somebody this week, this is a really good book to get. You should read it. It's not a spiritual book. But he said this about anxiety and worry. He said, remember, today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. Um, But we all do this. We all worry about um, the next next thing, the next day. In fact, the children of Israel did this as well. They were anxious. So now I'm going to get a little involvement from you guys. So let me ask you, do you remember when the children of Israel in the wilderness were gathering food? God exhorted them in Exodus chapter 16 because they were making two mistakes. They were making two mistakes about how they gathered the manna. If you know what those are, go ahead and whisper them to your neighbor right now. Like, do you know what the two mistakes were? Let's see who can remember the two mistakes. Whisper them to your neighbor. What were the two mistakes that they made when they were gathering manna? How many of you think you got it? I got both of them. All right. Michelle Benson, what was the first one? Yeah, so, so they, they didn't gather enough for the Sabbath, but, but also they, they actually went out on the Sabbath, and they gathered, and, and they should not have. You know, th- this is a lesson for us um, because they didn't trust God to provide for that day. Right, so so these were people who some of them could not stop being busy. They could not stop working. They could not rest on the Sabbath to trust that God had provided for them and promised them what He said He would. So those are people who were Sabbath gatherers, right? Who went out and constantly felt like they had to perform. That's the application for us today. I've got to perform. What was the other one? Does anybody remember what the other one was? And when they gathered too much. What happened to it? You know, it rotted. So these were people who said, I want to gather more so that I don't have to gather tomorrow. You know, are, are you this way when it comes to, like, saving? You say, hey, I, I want to put together something that makes me feel good, that makes me feel secure, so that I don't have to trust God. And I want to just take it easy. And God says, no, no, no. You wake up every day, and you say, your mercies are new every day morning. But some of us do not want to depend on God every day. We want to gather more so that we don't have to trust him tomorrow. And when that happens, if that's the way your heart seeks, then you will be disappointed. So then as I was studying this, I thought, well, you know, in, in the morning the manna was there and in the evening there was meat from, from the birds and from the quail. And so I started asking this question, what was the manna and the meat? And so when I have a biblical question like this, I go to my friend CJ and I say, CJ, in Hebrew, what does the manna mean and what does the meat mean? So CJ did this exhaustive study on the manna and the meat. And he has come back with a modern day equivalent for us on what the manna and the meat were. And this is it. (laughs) It's a Chick-fil-A chicken mini. So the manna is that wonderful little soft honey butter coated bread you know Um, and then the quail at night you know maybe it's a little nugget Um, and and to make this illustration really come alive our friends at chick-fil-a last night did something very special for us so guys if you'll bring the trays in and everybody take one we're going to start in the back and i'm just kidding there's no (laughs) (laughs) that was mean wasn't it (laughs) there's no chick-fil-a minis coming but now you're all awake, and now you're all hungry. So let me ask you, would you be able to eat chicken minis for 40 years? Some of you say yes. I doubt it. So when we look at why we need rest from God, for, God, for true rest from God, we need that. Because our hearts wander, our hearts are hard. Um, and our hearts often are unbelieving about God's promises. So secondly, go to Hebrews chapter 4. We're in our second question now. How do I find this true rest that God has promised? In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to call out the five things that we're going to look at from this passage because finding true rest from God is a process. It's a process. So everybody look at your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. It starts by saying, therefore. And what he's saying therefore about is because our hearts are this way, They wander from God. They're sinful. They're unbelieving. Because our hearts are this way, we cannot find rest. The Hebrews writer outlines for us this process. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. So that's number one. There's a promise. The promise of entering his rest still stands. Number two, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So we start with a promise, and then there's a fear that happens from that. We're going to talk about what that fear is. Number three, verse two says this: "For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith. They were not united by faith with those who listen. Faith is number three. Faith the third thing in this process that we're going to talk about of how of how do we find true rest. And then verse three: For those who have believed." enter that rest. Belief is the fourth step in this process. And then rest is the final step. They enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Because God's work was finished, we can have true rest. So let's talk about this process, this therefore, because our hearts are this way, what's the process we go through? Well, it starts with a promise and let me just start right there. You all want rest, but you don't want to work through this process. And the process of promising, of going back to what has God promised for us is vitally important. Um, as, as many of you know, my mom passed away um, about a week and a half ago after a six-year battle with cancer. And, and as we were with family, and we were with her pastors, um, and we were with our family, most of the time when people prayed, they would pray for us, a promise that we will see her again. Like in in the midst of that hurt and of that loss, they would say, thank you God for the promise that we will see Jan, that we will be with her again. Very encouraging promise from God. And you know, God has made us all promises from his word. And so if you are going to find true rest, you have to start by saying, God, what are your promises? So I would encourage you, go to God's word to find his promises. And then that promise, once you you see how God's promises take hold in your life, it leads to the second thing, which is fear. So I want you all to think of a word when I say, when you think of the fear of God or what type of fear we should have of God, think of one word. Maybe as you were growing up, what type of fear? A blank fear of God. Does everybody have that word? And if your word was reverential or awe, raise your hand. I figured that would be the most common one, right? Reverential or all. And and there's a lot of truth to that idea, that God, I should reverence him because of who he is. But, But really, this idea of fear, Proverbs talks about when we fear God, wisdom starts in our life. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. This idea of fear is not just, God, you're really big and you're up there and I reverence you. This idea of fear is that as I know God's promises, step one, and as I trust in God's promises, and I know who God is, I'm scared not to follow after God. I'm scared not to trust him, because I know he is a God that is going to care for me. How can I not follow what he says? I'm scared not to follow after him. That's what really the idea of fearing the Lord is. It's it's, God is so big, he's so great, he's so much in control, I have to follow him. So, So we trust in his promises, we learn who he is, and then that fear leads to a faith. Do you see what it says in verse 2? For the good news came to us just as it came to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. When we listen to God, our faith begins to take hold. We talk a lot in our college ministry about making faith your own. It's not your parents' faith. It's a faith that God has given for you to make your own. And as, as we are united in faith, that's one of the reasons why corporate worship is so important, is that we are united in faith around what God has promised. We're united around who God is. And that faith begins to take hold, and then that leads to the fourth one. So the fourth one in this cycle is belief. It says, for those who are united by faith, for those who listen, for we who have believed, enter that rest. The idea of belief is the idea of of God, you believing so much in this faith, that God is guiding you, that you are willing to sacrifice. When Garrett was up here talking about uh, with the children, the king who serves, like when you truly have that belief, that faith in your soul, then you are willing to serve. You also are even to the point, you are willing to die for that faith. That's what belief is is belief is not only do i believe it i'm willing to die for this and when believers die that's when they experience true rest my mom is experiencing true rest right now with jesus so that that belief then is what leads us to that that final step of rest my mom, when, when she was passing away, and she said her verse that she wanted read was Psalm seventy three twenty four, which says this, you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will receive me to glory. That's when we experience true rest. But, but right now, the here and now, you can experience glimpses of this true rest through God. You can work through this process to say, God, I'm going to trust your promises I'm going to learn you so well, God, I'm scared not to follow you. God, I'm going to have faith that grows, and I'm going to share that faith. And that leads to this core belief. It's inside of you, of who you are. That belief says, I will serve, I will sacrifice, and I will even die for what I believe. That is this process that we go through. So we've talked about why do we need true rest? Because our hearts wander from God. How do we get it? We work through this process, the promises of god etc and then number three where do we get the power for this true rest because this isn't something that we muster up on our own this isn't you fixing your schedule you know like okay i've got to i've got to plan time to watch netflix because that's going to help me rest you know and and i've got to tell people no and you know it's not those things at all in fact the power comes from something outside of you to do this so go back to god's word go back to hebrews chapter 3 And first of all, the power starts with listening to the Holy Spirit. By the way, what what does the Holy Spirit do for us? The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit gives fruit in our life that grows, this fruit of love, joy, peace, etc. But one of the great things about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is a proof from Jesus himself when he said, I am leaving you but I am sending someone. The Holy Spirit is proof that you are not alone. That you are not alone. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. So we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse um, 7 and verse 15 of chapter 3. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Look at verse 15 of chapter 3. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. And then look at chapter 4. Look at verses 7 through 10 of chapter 4. It says, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterwards, and the words that we've already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, read those next verses with me. Follow along. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there's another day where rest is going to come. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest will also have rested from his works, just as God did from his. Do You know, Martin Luther said he's only got two days that he has on his calendar. Okay, he only puts two days on his calendar, and it's not Christmas and Easter said, the two days that I have on my calendar, and most of you know this or have heard this before, um, Martin Luther's two days are this day and that day. And there's our buddy, Martin Luther, up there. I guess that's what he looked like. I don't know. That's the picture I found online. But he said, there's two days on my calendar. This day, in other words, what am I doing today? And I wonder, did he read this passage when he came up, when he wrote this? You know, that this day, today, I am following what the Holy Spirit is telling me. And I'm listening to the Holy Spirit's leading today, and I'm making decisions based on this day that God's given me. God has given you this day to respond to him. And then he says, I'm also making decisions for my calendar based on that day, that future day when I see Jesus, when I meet him. You know what most of us do in our lives? We spend almost all of our time thinking about all the days in between. You know we spend most of our time thinking about what am i going to be doing tomorrow the next day what's my life going to look like we're always thinking about the next stage of life is when the life gets really easy or it gets better or it gets perfect and in fact what i do for a living helping people with their finances i pretty much help people spend all of their time figuring out what are you going to do between those two days and really those are not the most important days the most important days are today right now what decisions are you making for the lord And then what decisions are you going to make between now and that day when you meet him? Those are the most important ones. It's not houses. It's not investments. It's not relationships. Those are the two important days. Listen to the Holy Spirit. But then secondly, the second thing um, of where do we go to get the power for true rest is we help each other with this. So look at Hebrews chapter 3. Look at verses 12 through 14. It says, take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For if you have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end, I'm really thankful uh, for paul christensen and his work with our community groups because right now on wednesday nights we're working through the one another's and community groups together if you're not in a community group you need to get in a community group get involved find one go to it Um, that's my plug but i appreciate the work he's done to really bring our focus on the one another's and so we need to encourage each other care for one another encourage people to believe So when when people are struggling, you can point them to belief. You can point them back to the promises of God. You can point them back to that promise of what God has has laid out. So encourage others to believe. Exhort one another to not sin. Uh, I don't really know how else to say it. We can talk about sin all day long. don't sin. <laughs> that, that is going to pull you away from resting in the Lord. You cannot truly find rest if you are constantly going back to sin. It will never fulfill you. It will always disappoint. It will always lead you away from the Lord. And then with one another, we need to share Christ. We need to be confident in the work that Jesus is doing in our lives this is what we're called to do can i make a little just application for parents here Um, and i'm going to pick on parents of young children because my children aren't young anymore Um, and so it's hard to make applications when it like is, is tied directly to you but parents when you are when you are disciplining your kids when you are practicing this one another with your kids the goal is not to moralize your kids it's not to make them act a certain way it's not to discipline them out of anger, uh, which is very tempting to do. I remember I used to tell a friend, well, I discipline out of anger because I have righteous anger. Like Jesus had righteous anger, you know? And, and like, of course, and my friend was like, uh, you're not Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't think your anger is righteous. I think you're just mad at your kids. Um, and, and so don't discipline out of anger. Um, don't try to get them just to conform to righteous moral behavior. But go to your kids and say, I want you to believe. I I don't want you to live a life of sin. And it's not because you embarrass me when you cry in the grocery store, even though that is true. But I want you to exhort um, to not sin. And I want to be confident. I want to share the work of Christ with you as a child. um, and, And I want you to see what Christ is doing. So we need to include other believers in this fight for true rest. And then thirdly, we need to follow the example of Jesus. Look at verse 10 of chapter 4 powerful, powerful verse. It says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You know, part of experiencing true rest is can you rest from your own good works? Your own good works do not earn you merit before God. It is what Jesus has done that earns our merit before God. Here's the test if you're trusting in your good works. If you're doing, quote, all the right things as a Christian, and God's not giving you what what you know you deserve to have, and you get angry at God, you're probably trying to put God in a box and say, God, you have to do what I want you to do because I'm doing all the right things. Um, Some of you have heard me use this illustration, but after our son Andrew was born, my wife and I had two miscarriages, And, and I can remember the second miscarriage in the hospital saying, as, as she was back with getting uh, that procedure done, I remember saying before God, God, it's not fair that you're not giving us another child because we just want to take a child, this child to Sunday school. We want our son to have a sibling because I knew exactly what I needed, right? I knew the perfect little family that was supposed to happen, and I can remember saying, God, it's not fair that you're allowing this to happen because I'm doing all the right things. You know, I, I want to raise a family that glorifies You. I want to take them to church. You know, I'm having my devotions. I'm doing all these things right, and I'm still heavy laden. You know, I'm still struggling. And God says, no, no, you have to trust me. Um, God has a plan. And after that, he brought us Abbey. So it was a wonderful plan, you know. i um, so thankful. But are you resting from your own good works, or do you use your works to try to get God to give you what you know you deserve? And then look at verse 11 of chapter 4. Verse 11 says this, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. When you follow the example of Jesus, you will turn away from having a disobedient, hard heart. And then lastly, where do we get the power for true rest? It's in the next verse. It's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We get it from trusting in God's word. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and now we're kind of at the end. We're back to where we started. Remember those three things that we need rest for? We need rest for our souls, for our body, and for our heart. And so Hebrews chapter 4, 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So I'm going to ask you guys a question, so I want everybody to be a part of this. If you've ever heard this verse before, or read this verse, or maybe memorized it in Awana or scripture memory, if that's the case, raise your hand really high. Like, raise it really, really high, all right? And leave it up for just a second. Now, if you've ever heard this verse, now, If you're in college or you're a college ministry leader, put your hand down. Because I've asked you guys this question before. All right, everybody else keep your hands up. Keep your hands up if they're still up. Now, if you've ever heard this verse taught to you in the context of resting in the Lord, leave your hand up. But if you haven't, put your hand down. So isn't that something? I think we have like four hands up. So why is that? Why does this verse get ripped out? Um, And people use this as some context for, you know, something to do with the Bible, which it is. It's talking about God's Word. But what it's really talking about here is finding rest through the promises of the Word of God about who God is and finding rest. So look at the verse again. For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And look at what it pierces to. It pierces to the division of our soul and our spirit. It uncovers the idea is that that uncovers where we need healing, where we need rest. This is what God's Word does for us. And then the idea of the joints and the marrow, that's our, that's our body, <laughs> um, where, where, again, God is using this to show how, how physically we need to rest and trust in God. And then the Word of God helps us discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Isn't that a great promise, that God's Word helps us to determine the thoughts and intentions of our heart? Because do you remember what our heart is? What is it? It's hard... It's unbelieving, right? It wanders away from God. And so what God's word does is it brings us back, brings our hearts back. It uncovers our need for rest and healing. The Bible sometimes, I believe, in our culture today, gets worshipped as a theological tool of of, mental you know, fun. Like, I'm going to, you know, study God's Word and make it, you know, very—and I love theology. I love studying God's Word that way. But if we're not careful, what you can miss is really what the Word of God is, is it's introducing us to the person of who our Heavenly Father is. So, so through God's Word, you get to know a Heavenly Father who's made incredible promises to you. So go to God's Word to learn about who your Father is, to learn about the person of our heavenly Father. Also, the Word of God allows us to experience the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. By the way, we're connecting back to those those first three points that we talked about. So the Word of God allows us to have experience the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And lastly, the Word of God allows us to trust in the performance of what Jesus has done. When we go to God's Word and we see what Jesus has done for us, we can trust in that performance. We can trust in what Christ has done. So we see this idea taught. Jesus taught it when he said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The writer of Hebrews taught this that we need rest through God's word for our bodies, our souls, and our hearts. And then even the Old Testament, even the people of Israel, very common passage, even the people of Israel were taught their need for this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all your might. So, what true rest is, it's loving the Lord this way. When you love the Lord this way, you will begin to experience rest rest in your heart, rest in your souls, and rest in your bodies. I'm going to read a closing quote. um, And as I read it, I'll I'll put it on the screen. You might be able to see it. Um, I'm going to read this quote, then I'm going to pray. And and while I'm praying, the worship team's going to come back up, and we're going to close with a song called Living Hope. And most of you know this song. But I want to encourage you, like, sing this song out. (laughs) Like, sing this song as a response that because we have a living hope in Christ, we can rest. We can rest in what he has done for us. Um, So let me read a quote. It's from a book um, that, that has been very influential in my life. Um, that was written by a guy named Nate Bramson. But I'm going to read this quote, and then I'm going to go right into prayer, and worship team, you come come right up. Um, But here's our, our final quote. I'm sorry, let me get there. And if you can't read it, just listen, and I'll read it to you. To truly know him as your comforter requires that he allows you to experience grief. Similarly, to know him as your healer requires disease and pain. To know him as your strength requires that you feel your own weakness. Do you want to know God as your provider? Expect to find yourself in need and desperation. Do you want to know him as your peace? It's kind of what we've been talking about today. Do you want to know him as your peace? Count on conditions of turmoil and unrest. If you want to know God as your sustainer, Get ready for a phase of prolonged testing. Your defender and advocate expect false accusations and times of misunderstanding. And finally, if you're ever going to know God as your resurrection, well, prepare to die. God, as we come before you now, we want for you to do a work in our hearts God, we want to confess that our hearts are hard. And God, our hearts wander from you. And God, our hearts are unbelieving. We don't trust in the promises of who you are. We don't allow our faith to grow. God, we don't often uh, believe in what you have promised for us. Help us, God. Help us to work through that process of understanding who you are and believing and finding true rest in you. And God as we as we sing now, help us to sing with the promise that you are our living hope. That there is a great chasm between us and you, but God Jesus has filled that and that we can trust in you. We can trust in your promises and most of our God we can rest. We can rest because even in a life of turmoil and pain and the unknown, you provide a rest for us now. And we praise you, God, that you provide a rest for us ultimately when we are with you in the resurrection. Be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.